Welcome to the Fine Sisterhood Podcast, Unspoken Truths, where we shine a light on the beautiful messiness of life. Thanks for tuning in. Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. This is Anna, the CEO and founder of Fine Sisterhood. And I'm here today with Teresa from my team and T. Lopez, a speaker, podcaster, and recording artist. Hi, T. Thank you so much for joining us here today. Thank you for having me. So, T, when did we meet first? At I want to um, say at a We All Grow event, but maybe I'm mistaken. But then I had you on my radio show, Mom Life Yo, and you were amazing. <laughs> and I thought everything about Fine Sisterhood was amazing. And then I had the opportunity that you gave me, which was so nice to be able to MC and moderate your panel at the Fine Sisterhood launch here in yes. Los Angeles. Oh my God, that was so fun. And I had the thought of asking you because of your new podcast. Yes. So it's the Mama... I, 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 Mama I think, Morsels. Yeah, the Morsels. I'm like pronouncing that <laughs> word. I'm like, how do you pronounce that? Mama Morsels? I'm like, oh. Mama Morsels. And I named it Mama Morsels because a morsel is just a little tiny, little taste of something. And the new podcast is... there teeny tiny episodes they're anywhere from five minutes to maybe 10 minutes but the average runtime is seven minutes so i call it mama morsels and i i the tagline is bite-sized pivots to break the cycles i love it and i told my whole team about it i was like listen in the future when my kids do something adorable meaning every two seconds according to me um <laughs> We don't tell them that we love them for that because I just learned that at Mama Morsels. <laughs> and when Layla, who just goes through this phase right now where she says why to everything. And we're like, oh my God, you're so cute. Oh, we love you. Why? And so I learned now I'm like, why? Because you are you and there is no other reason in the world. So thanks to Mama Morsels, I'm like, I really have to rethink that because I used to also be like, I love you because you are whatever. You're so strong and because you made me this amazing sandwich. And I'm like, no, actually, I would love you even if you wouldn't have made me an amazing sandwich. (laughs) Yes. And that was my first episode. I called it Conditioning the Unconditional because we talk about unconditional love all the time and we all think... We know what it is, especially when you become a mom. You become a mom and you're like, oh, I, unconditional love. I've never felt it until this moment when I became a mom. I thought I knew what it was and I didn't and now I do. And we do. We actually love our kids unconditionally, but the things that we say don't always reflect that and we don't even catch it because we have been trained to name reasons why we love each other and to compliment we think it's complimenting and i i did it too we all do it we go i think i love you because you're so amazing you're so strong you're so beautiful you're so smart you're so creative that's what i was telling my kids and i realized um through this through a <laughs> through a series of events that i share on that particular episode episode one of mama morsels that my daughter when she was not as smart that day when she was not as kind to her sister when she maybe wasn't as strong in her little mind in her little pure mind as a little girl because I had been telling her I love you because you're this she thought oh well in this moment when I wasn't that mommy didn't love me as much or you know and so she would try to make up for it in other ways and I caught myself and I was like no I just love you because I love you I love you because you're you and so now 
oh, it was such a realization that I felt like I had to then say it every single day so that she knows, especially as a little girl growing into a woman. I feel like we as women have been taught that there have to be reasons. We have to be the strongest one. We have to be the smarter one. We have to be, you know, the most beautiful. We're always trying to to primp ourselves up to be loved or to be the smartest one to be loved and we think that that's what should equal love because that's what the world has taught us but I find that when I tell my girls that I love them just because they're them it gives them this confidence that they feel like oh well even if I fail I'm still good so they take more risks they go out and they they're braver they because even when they're scared that they might fail that doesn't equal me not loving them or them not being in a loving household so i find that it makes them stronger to tell them that i just love them because i love them and then it just makes them smile every time i say it cuz i'll say why do i love you and now they answer and ellie will say because i'm ellie and irie will say because i'm irie and they just laugh and it's a nice moment to have every day but Aside from it just being a nice moment, I, I, my hopes is that it becomes a really strong seed mm-hmm. that grows as they become women who have to go out into this world and just know who they are. Yeah. Because we all know as women, we, it's almost like, you know, for me, I know I didn't even find that until I had already done so many things and I was still doubting myself. I had already accomplished so many things in my career. It's been 20 years of my, you know, career in entertainment media and I was still finding it after all of that time because I wasn't always as secure. And it's no, it's no one's, like, it's not our parents' fault. They just taught us what they knew. And I was teaching my daughter what I knew. Yeah. But it's when you <laughs> catch yourself, you can switch it. And it just takes these little tiny, teeny, tiny changes that, and it makes the world of difference. Yeah, it's so true, especially the risk-taking. I was surprised. So I have a daughter and a son. And I was surprised how much of stereotypes there are, even though we really tried very hard to teach um, our daughter to be a risk taker and our son as well and they have it yeah Layla is not like that she doesn't like taking risks and she likes to please people and Ezra on the other hand uh, he could not care less he's like listen I'm gonna do whatever I want and I'm just gonna run around and break things and hurt myself he cries for 10 seconds gets up and plays again Layla burns her hand once in because the water is a little bit too hot and she's gonna Four years later, still say, the water could be hot. Please test it for me. And I'm like, Jesus. <laughs> like, no, Leila, come on. Um, so that, that like, and it shows, like, and so I am, like, really struggling to, how do you teach um, to take more risks? And I, I hope that I teach it by just showing them that I'll, uh, I'll take the risk. You know, they might be a little bit too young to understand the risk of entrepreneurship. Um, But I hope that one day, you know, they will see by my role modeling um, and and learn those kind of things. I don't think they're too young. I think they're too young to verbalize what they're seeing right now. But I think when they grow older as adults, when they can actually explain what they felt as a child and seeing you taking all of these risks, it will just translate. They won't think that entrepreneurship is is weird or out of the box when they get older because they've seen you do it. They didn't see you, you know, have to wait until your boss let you off of work to come home and see them. They knew that you were just making it work no matter what. I feel like even though they can't say that yet, they're going to notice it when they get older. We interviewed on the Mom Life Yo show, which was the show prior to my current podcast. We had a radio show called Mom Life Yo, and we interviewed a woman named Margot Biznow, 
and she is an author of a book called Raising an Entrepreneur. And she interviewed like 60 or 80 moms of successful entrepreneurs to try to find that common thread of what was the common thread in all of their motherhood that made it so that their kids were so bold enough (laughs) to go out and become entrepreneurs. And a lot of what she found was that the kids always knew that they could that they were loved and that they always had a safety net, not a financial safety net, but just a, you're good. We got you, you know, you're not, if you fail, it's fine with us. And so they, the safer they felt at home, the more likely they were to go out and take risks. And which I find is interesting because it's almost, it's counterintuitive because we feel like, oh, if we make it so that they understand that they better go out and do a good job because they can't come they can't come back here, you think that that's going to make them stronger and go and set out on a path that they won't ever come back home to the home nest to. But it ends up being the opposite most of the time because then they get so fearful of failing that they the first thing they think is actually kind of working them working for them they get stuck there and they don't take any other risks like what what about when that stops working in 7 years you know will they jump to another job or will they just stay in that security that they feel like well, I can't I can't disappoint my parents so I just have to stay here so yeah it was interesting to interview Margot because she she literally just went to all of these moms and said what did you do that made it so that your kids went out and became successful entrepreneurs and just had that boldness and had that courage. And even though they fa- they might have failed the first three times, but they kept going. Now they're really successful. Nice. Isn't that I like interesting? that. Yeah, that is so interesting. I'm like, okay. I especially like to interview the moms. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, yes. yes. <laughs> um, put the mom back in the picture. Um, so one of the things talking about teaching is how do you teach consent? Um, I feel like you as someone that works in the entertainment industry, we all know there is a lot of sexual harassment going on, not just in that industry, in a lot of industries in any really. But um, how, do you, how do you deal with that yourself and how do you think we can teach consent? I think in the beginning I dealt with it because I didn't know that there was another way. Of course, this was years ago. Now we have the Me Too movement and all of these empowering women's groups that you could go to and people will just believe you. Um, When I started 20 years ago, specifically in the music industry, (laughs) I mean, in every industry it's there, but in the music industry, oh my gosh, it's, it's almost as if that's, they make you feel as if that's your ticket is you've got to do certain things in order to Hmm. be successful in this industry. And I was told that I was told that by managers. I was told that by producers. I was told that by directors. Um, you mean they actually told you? Yes. One one director told me it's a business transaction. I, I and he made it as if it, it, he looked at me like, "Is something wrong with you? This is what women do." And then he started naming all the actresses. And whether that was true or not, when you're 22, you go, "This guy's." almost 50 maybe he's telling me the truth and maybe I'm the naive one and I don't know you know and he started naming all the actresses that have that oh do you know why she was the star of that movie because she did this or you know and so thank god thank god thank god I never felt the need to do that even though I was pressured to do so thank god I came from you know a very 
a household where my parents were still so involved, even as I grew into adulthood, especially for me being in music. I, I, you know, they, they were just always in contact with me. And, um, but even then you can, you can come from the best family ever and still get lost in it and still, you know, think that you really want to be successful because you don't want to go back home or you don't want to disappoint your parents. So you, you end up, you know, I, I know many girls who had gone through it. And for me, it, it would, I would be presented with the choice or I would be pressured with the choice. And there were times that I just, oh gosh, I had this manager. Oh Lord. All right. We're, if we're, if this is the unspoken truth. <laughs> so yes. Tell the truth. Awesome. Yes. I had some amazing managers who I loved, but there was one in particular when my career was not going very well that, you know, when you're in a vulnerable state of feeling like you're failing, you end up making bad decisions because you don't have clarity because you feel the anxiety and the pressure. And so I ended up taking on this manager who was a sh- like a shark. He was a shark in the industry. And he would, you know, at the first few months, everything that he said he was going to do, he did. I always had a vibe, though. There was always a weird vibe. But you I, always know. You, you always Trust know. Trust your gut. Mm-hmm. But, I had, but I met his wife and his family and had been to their house several times and his wife would cook it. I mean, you know, but there was always a weird vibe. But anytime I, anytime business needed to get done, he would really get it done. And I was like, well, maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm tripping. Maybe this is the way that it goes. And he's, I mean, I don't really love his attitude, but he's getting stuff done. And... It didn't happen for months, but months and months later, we went to Miami, and it was the first traveling trip. When you are a musician, you travel, Your either your road manager goes with you or your manager, and then you go record at studios. At the time, I was signed to Cash Money Records, and so I went out to Miami to record in their studio. And man, we were getting work done, because this dude was like a bulldozer. And he was pounding on every producer's door. And the thing is, now looking back, those were all my contacts. But he was just using them to mm. get the job done. But now looking back, I was like, that was really all my stuff that you, that I thought you were doing. But it was. But isn't that often that exactly those kind of men are the ones that somehow make you doubt yourself? Yes. And turn work that you have done into their own accomplishments. And it takes sometimes years to look back and be like, Hold on a second. Yeah. That was all me. And then you you end up, you know, we would go to certain events and other people that I knew knew him. So I'd go, oh, so it makes you second guess like, oh, so these people have worked with him. Yeah, maybe it is just me. But sure enough, one uh, night after the studio and you stay at the studio till 2 a.m., 3 a.m., mm-hmm. 4 a.m. until it gets done. You stay at the studio, and afterward we went to eat because I was starving. And he started with the conversation of just like, "Wow, I've, I've never seen a woman really go after what you want like you do. You, uh, you just, you have this strength, you have this ambition. Starts with the compliments, right? And I'm, and you feel it coming on as a woman, and especially at this point, I had been in the industry for quite some time. So I was like, uh huh, yes, sure, thank you, I appreciate that. And he was like, you know, I, I don't know, I'm just, I'm starting to." have these interesting feelings about you. And I said in that moment, I was proud of myself. I said, "Um, thank you for the compliments. I'm going to stop you right there. I'm going to pretend this conversation never happened, never happened because we are here working 
I wasn't home. I wasn't in Los Angeles at home. We were out on the road and I need to finish this album before we came home. So you also have that in your mind as a woman of like, I need to get this job done. What, what do I have to do to get this job done? So I said, I'm going to pretend this conversation never happened and you're never going to have this conversation with me again um, because we're working together. I don't know what's confusing you. I'm glad that you think I'm a hard worker. That's how I was raised. That's how I've lasted this long. Um, but that anything outside of the work conversation, we don't need to have that. All good. You got confused for a second. We're never talking about this again. Done. Two days later... He, same thing, 2 a.m., 3 a.m., we're done at the studio, we're leaving the studio, and he says, he, he then made, a, made an offer to me. He, had a, he, had, he proposed something to me, which was basically, you know, I know you're tight on money. I know that you need to pay your rent. I know that we're out here trying to get this music done because, you know, you're low on money. If you ever, you know... If you need some money right now, there are things that you can do, and we can just go oh into God. the room. <laughs> that is insane. It, was, it shocked me because we had already come this far, dude. Like, And you it, have given him an out. I've given him yes. an, out, an out, and we've already come this far, and we're here working. And I, it's been months that he's actually been doing his job, and so it felt like, why now? What are you doing? And are you seriously saying these words to me? I was so caught off guard because I, I was like, oh, you're actually just going to say it. You're not even going to be sly about it. You're just going to say the words. And he said it. And I said, absolutely not. And I don't know what makes you think you can even talk to me like that. That's when I started second guessing myself later on that day. So I end up calling the head of the label at Cash Money that night, and he booked me a flight home. And I was just like, I'm out. I, I can't even say what happened right now. I couldn't even process it. So I came back home. And then that guy, for fear of probably what I would say to his wife or anything else, I, he still had my songs. He still had all my masters. He had everything we recorded. He had the whole album. We'd been working for months. And I had to go to his... Uh, house and knock on the door and get them. That was all my stuff. He he wouldn't even come to the door. Hmm. I saw him in in there. He was hiding. <laughs> and he was just like, I'm not, oh. I'm not. We don't need to talk. And I'm and he was just afraid that I would out him and say to his wife what he did. He never gave me my songs, and I just had to let it go. So so I had to give up that that whole six month my whole album and I had a Spanish album and an English album that we had been working on I had to give it up with the best producers that I had always wanted to work with and I gave it up because I was just like I don't even want to see this dude anymore I don't even want to ugh, ugh, gross and um but it did it put me in a in a in a bad place for a few months because I had been in the industry for years at that point And I stopped and I second-guessed myself and I was just like, how did I get here? How did I put myself in this position with everything that I know? Prior to that, I had been on tour with, it was always a bunch of dudes that I was on tour with and that had never happened. I was on tour with Mark Anthony and his whole crew. They couldn't have been nicer. I was on tour with Enrique Iglesias and his whole crew. Couldn't have been nicer. (laughs) I was both of their, I was both of their opening acts. 
they were professional men. Of course, do like when people are on the road, do people start getting flirty? Yes, but then if you you shut it down, it's all good. Like I had never experienced to the level of that because I thought in my mind, well, I'm a good judge of character now. I've had I've been in this industry for so long, so I started second guessing myself of how did I get here? Am I so desperate of in my career? that I overlooked all of these red flags. And instead of me snapping myself out of it, it did put me in a bad place for a few months. And especially because now all my work was gone, everything that I had worked so hard for, I had to let it go, I had to start all over again. And then from there, when you start explaining what happened to people, like when I started having to explain to other companies, to these producers that we worked with who were expecting my singles to come out, and I was like, well, no, they're not going to. And then you go, well, do I tell them this personal thing that happened to me and that's why? Or do I just take the bullet and they're just going to think that I'm this crazy artist who promised them all of these things and it's not going to come to fruition? Do I, you know, tell talk to my label exactly about what happened? Now I've become this girl who's making trouble everywhere. And so it was just a bad, it was a bad, bad, bad experience. And yeah, that so of course all of that comes into my mind when I um, when I had girls. I didn't know that I would have girls. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why in my mind I always thought that I would have boys, only boys. And then I got two girls. So I feel like though all of this stuff that I've been through, and that that's only one story. <laughs> there are so many other things and so many even more subtle things that happen on the daily in the entertainment industry that you have to just, you have to make it, you have to make 10 decisions a day, 10 decisions a day. Do I let that one go or do I fight it? Do I let that one go or do I fight it? Do I let that one? It's all day. (laughs) It's at the recording studio. It's at the TV station. It's in the writing room. It's in the product, you know, production office. And that's what I would just deal with on the daily. So at some point you'll crack. So for me, I did crack a little bit and then I got back, on my feet and I had to keep going and you know that's the resilience of women so that's that's what I do take hope in when it comes to my daughters is we're just born with a certain resilience and then from there I have to teach them what to do yeah so speaking of your daughters um, does it make you nervous that someday they might step into your footsteps and also work in the entertainment industry and might have to deal with this kind of things It did get me nervous when they were born. (laughs) It got me nervous from the moment I found out. The new mom anxiety? Well, from the moment I found out that each one of them was a girl, Mm -hmm. I thought about all the things that women have to to deal with. And... I mean, this is during pregnancy. And then I had to let it go because I was like, that's not good for my pregnancy. I can't be thinking about that. But I realized that I do have such a such a power and such an authority when it comes to my children's lives because I'm their mother that when they got old enough to start talking to me I realized the power that I have and I mean we all know especially as as women the mother-daughter relationship is so there are so many layers there there's there's it's such a complex relationship anywhere we go I feel like in this in this earth whether it's your job or your relationship you always hear your mom's voice (laughs) (laughs) and sometimes sometimes it's a good I hope that for my kids (laughs) yes better hear my voice and sometimes it's a it's an empowering thing and sometimes it's a my mom wouldn't want would not want me to do this whatever the case 
it's such a powerful it's like it's your conscience you know in a lot of ways i feel like god god and your parents are that's your conscience those are the little voices you hear in your head when you start making decisions in life once i remembered that i had to remember that no matter what i did in my life i always had my mom's voice in my head of what she's taught me i found my power there going oh that means that my kids will have the same thing so once they started getting to an age where, and it happens so young, it happens so young. I mean, months old, growing into a year old, when they start saying their first words, I would just encourage my older one, I would, I would start encouraging her to talk to me about things that made her sad. And I didn't, I, I, I try my best because sometimes, you know, you never know what kind of day you're having as a mom, but I try my best to go, you're sad about that. Yeah, it's okay to be sad about that. Let's talk about that. Oh, you're you're mad at me? <laughs> I get it. I've been mad at my mom. So, yeah, tell me about it. As opposed to going, well, don't cry about that. Or don't be, that's not a reason to be mad. You know, I've caught myself saying that and I try not to because I want her to know that she has a voice and that she doesn't have to keep things in when she's mad or she's sad or something's making her feel weird and uncomfortable I once I found that power, I started it really early, just the communication. And now it's to the point that <laughs> it's kind of exhausting because they tell me every single little thing they feel oh, all day is. long. Yeah, we are at that stage too. <sighs> but I would rather it be that. True. Than her better too much to communication and too little. Right. Yeah. That is that is very true. Yeah. So uh, I don't work in the entertainment industry and Thank God I was never uh, sexual harassed, but I, I've dealt with a lot of catcalls in my life, mm -hmm. uh, especially coming from a, a country like Brazil, where it, it becomes like normal in your life and no one uh, says anything about it. Um, I used to tell my mom and she was like, yeah, just take it and don't say anything because you don't know what they might do. And I remember uh, sometimes walking on the street and coming back from uh, school or from work and like people saying those things to me and I'm like, well, I cannot say anything. And like having to watch over my back all the time for mm -hmm. fear, like, are they following me? Are they going to do anything for me? I j are they just like, you know, like barking but not doing anything? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so I, I just, I don't, <laughs> I don't know where I'm going with this, but I just wanted to share that uh, it's very difficult for us women everywhere, like coming from, especially from South America countries where like this is so normalized. Yes, it is. It yes. feels like you're walking a tightrope. Because you want people to think that you're, <laughs> you're that you're beautiful, especially when you're a young girl, as an adolescent, growing into maybe you're 12, 13, 14, 15, and you things start happening to your body, and yeah. you want acknowledgement that this is okay. And so sometimes growing up as a young girl, you hear the cat calls, and it almost makes you feel good, and you're like, oh, I'm, well, I am looking good today, okay. <laughs> um, and I think it's just about teaching. For me, it's about teaching my daughters that it's just about knowing who you are. And if people think you're beautiful, great. And if they don't, if no one tells you that you're beautiful that day, not even mommy, if whatever the case, you just have to know who you are on the inside because there will be days when you feel it on the outside and there will be days when you don't. There will be days when people lift you up and there will be times when people put you down especially for you know when it comes to your looks which is so stupid but it's what the world does and so for me I constantly have to teach them who they really are mm -hmm. that's another question I ask them every single day I ask them who are you 
every night before they go to sleep. <laughs> so and, what's the answer? So so <laughs> in our and for me, you know, I know every household is different. Every household has their own beliefs. For me, I had to find the part of me that did not depend on my success mm-hmm. and it did not depend on my failure. It did not depend on my whose mate I was, whose wife I was. It did not depend on any of that because you go through things in life and you go, well, you know, one day I'm somebody's wife and maybe it doesn't work out and the next day I'm not. Does that change who I am? You go through all these identity crises. Um, Before I had my daughters, I had two sons and they passed away in infancy. So one day I was a mom and the next day I was not. So you, you go through all of these things and you go, well, what can I hold on to? Like, what's the thing that's the solid rock that will never go away? And for us in our house, it's um, I ask them, who are you? And they say, I'm a child of the Most High God and a princess in his kingdom. And I say, and what did God give you rule over? And they say the whole earth. That's what we believe. And that's what I've taught them to know. You have to just know that so that whether you get married or not, whether you have a job and your boss likes you or not, whether you get fired or not, that's who you will always be. And you have dominion over the earth and with leadership and that rule comes responsibility. So we're here also to serve. So I give them, I tell them we have the responsibility to serve, to take care of the earth. These are God's people. We're called to love. And, and, but you also hold a place of high authority. You're a child of God. So walk around like you know that. You, <laughs> you have to know that no matter what happens to you in your life. Things have happened to me in my life where I've had to, where it will make me fall all the way down to zero. And there, and I have to, I have to acknowledge what's holding me down there at the very bottom, what the foundation is. So no matter for me what happens, I can't get attached to my failures and I can't get attached to my successes. I've, you know, I've performed at Madison Square Garden. I've performed at the Staples Center. But then guess what? The next day I was back to (laughs) casting and someone said no. (laughs) So I can't attach myself to that wonderful, amazing success and say that's who I am because the next day it might be different. So I have to teach them and I have to tell them. I ask them every day so that they say it every day. And if they say it every day, it's like they're, it's their affirmation. It's their proclamation. I want them to hear themselves saying it so that it washes over them so that every day when they go out, they know exactly who they are, no matter what happens to them. I love that. That is, that is so great. beautiful. Yes. We do that in our, <laughs> we do that for our company. Yes. We, we start our mornings with telling each other that we're strong. I love it. And we're kind and we're beautiful and you got this you got this so on that note thank you so much for talking with us about all of these super important topics I feel like there are five more episodes we need to record I know (laughs) but I do I can I share one more thing that I feel like is so 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 important that just came to me I absolutely want to share this is such a good tool if you have little ones and such a good tool for even yourselves as you're reading these kids books Patty Fitzgerald who was who we interviewed on the Mom Life Yo show. She has a company called Safely Ever After. And a lot of it is about teaching kids about their bodies and how they're the boss of their bodies. I'm Mexican. In the Latino culture, it's very common for you know, you want to raise your kids with respect. And so you say to them, you know, your uncle comes in, you like you have to saludar him, like you have to give him a hug, give get everybody, give everybody a kiss, give everybody a hug, yes. you know, your grandparents, your and I feel like what it teaches kids to do when they're when they're absolutely against it, 
what it teaches kids to do is it, what it teaches kids is that your voice doesn't matter. You're going to go and hug them because that's a sign of respect. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times when it comes to kids and um, any type of inappropriate behavior or touching, it comes from somebody that they know or it comes from a family member because they trust them or they're told that they should trust them. And so that's where it starts. And in Patty Stinger's books, she has such a beautiful way of teaching kids how, you know, it's 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 a story of a girl and a boy and it first teaches them what their private parts are. And their your private parts are the parts that are covered by your bathing suit. So for a girl, that's two areas. For the, a boy, that's one area. It teaches them what appropriate touch is. So when mommy and daddy are giving you a bath or when doctor's checking you to be healthy and your mom is in the room or your dad is in the room. And it teaches them that they have a voice about their bodies even when it comes to their family members. So when it comes to, you know, grandma tickles me and sometimes I like it and sometimes I don't. And sometimes, and it's just, even though that's not an inappropriate touch coming from an adult, from a kid, what it teaches them is, you know, from a kid's point of view is you have the right to say yes to that. Yes, I love grandma's tickles today. And you have the right to say no to that so that if anything inappropriate ever does happen, they're already trained to be able to say no, even if they feel like it will hurt someone else's feelings, mm-hmm. like an uncle or like a cousin or or anything like that. And it, it even in the book, it's such a beautiful way of saying, you know, well, the kid says, well, what if it hurts their feelings and the mom says to the kid well your feelings are important too so something that you feel like is a is respectful to someone else because you don't want to hurt their feelings but it hurts your feelings or it makes you feel yucky or it makes you feel weird that's not okay so you come and tell mom and it was I from what I thought that it was going to be in this book in these books when I started reading them to my kids you think it's this is about only, you know, inappropriate touching and behavior. What it ends up being is just teaching the kids that they have a voice, period. So they end up carrying that from their bodies into just decisions about the way other kids should treat them, be mean to them or not, bully them or not. Yeah. And they carry they just carry this, you know, it's just a more they feel much more important. They feel like their voice is more valued. And it's such an incredible tool. And I didn't really get it until we interviewed her. And I took the books home and I read them to my kids. And they understand now that they're the boss of their bodies. It doesn't matter if someone's older than you, you know, or you feel like that's an authority figure. You still have a right because your feelings are just as important as theirs. Isn't that, it's like, it's yeah. mind blowing. I'm like, okay, going on Amazon right now, yes. ordering this book. <laughs> and I couldn't, we lost them in the move the last time we moved. And so I just bought them again on Amazon. They're awesome. so good. Okay, we'll all get them. Yes, <laughs> this you. is not sponsored by this book. This is just brought to you by Concerned Moms and yes. teaching yes. consent, which is so important. And it reminds me just as a mom, when I'm flipping through it, I'm like, my voice is important. Yes, you're woman. like, you know what? I actually got this. <laughs> Even if I'm hurting somebody else's feelings, my feelings are important too. I love that. So on that note, where can our listeners find you? Book Uh, you. Yes. Oh, Official T. Lopez. That's just the letter T, last name Lopez, L-O-P-E-Z. OfficialTLopez.com. I'm on Instagram and all the other social networks, Official T. Lopez. And my new podcast is called Mama Morsels, Bite-Sized Pivots to Break the Cycles. You can find that on iTunes and anywhere you get your podcasts. And the Instagram for that is at Mama Morsels. Awesome. Thank you so much thank for being here. Thank you for here. having me. This I love awesome. this conversation. So important. Uh, and also thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in. This is the Fine Sisterhood Podcast, Unspoken Truths. 
And for those of you who haven't already, you can download the Finance Institute app for free in the App Store, the Google Play Store, all over the world. And please don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and give us a rating. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Bye. Bye. Bye.